This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to Legal Talk Network and our show, Workers' Comp Matters. I'm your host, Alan Pierce. I practice workers' comp law in Salem, Massachusetts, with the law firm of Pierce, Pierce, and Napolitano, where we represent injured workers and their family. Today, our show comes from the annual convention of the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group, otherwise known as Willig. We are at the Bacara Resort in Santa Barbara, California, and we are all learning uh, about various issues in the various states regarding the general practice of workers' compensation. I have a very special guest uh, today for today's show. It is Joe Allman. Joseph Allman practices law in Indianapolis, Indiana, with the law firm of Macy Swanson and Allman. Uh, Joe is a graduate of not only uh, Indiana University in Bloomington, but he has his uh, JD from Indiana University. He's a member of the Indiana State Bar Association, the Indianapolis Bar Association, the Indiana Trial Lawyers Association. Obviously, he's a member here at Willig, and he's a member of the AFL-CIO Lawyers Coordinating Committee. He has written and spoken on numerous labor and employment personnel issues, and he focuses his practice um, primarily on federal employee workers' compensation and has also developed a subspecialty in what's known as black lung law or black lung uh, benefits. So, Joe, I want to welcome you to Workers' Comp Matters. Thanks, Alan. Nice to be here. Let's talk about the Black Lung Benefits Act. That is the act upon which all of these claims are are adjudicated. It is certainly something that up in my neck of the woods in Salem, Massachusetts, we have a big coal burning plant right uh, across the harbor in Salem, but that's about the extent of my knowledge of uh, coal and the uh, potential uh, effects of uh, breathing this stuff uh, has. So tell us a little bit about the history and origins of benefits for miners who deal in coal excavation. Well, the uh, the Black Lung Act, as, as you know, is, is a benefit for coal miners and for their widows or widowers due to the ingestion of coal who become disabled or die because because of coal. And it's, it's uh, first passed in 1969, I believe, Alan. But uh, it's the newest uh, part of my law practice. I really enjoy representing mine, miners and their widows and, and the benefit. And it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's a difficult statute. It's sort of a workers' comp statute for coal miners. It's a federal program, and um, it's been very enjoyable practicing in that. And unlike some of the other state-based workers' compensation or even the Federal Employees' Compensation Act, which covers other federal employees and the funds are paid for by the Department of Labor and the presumably the U.S. Treasury, there's a unique funding mes- mechanism, is there not, for uh, the BLBA cases? Well, what's really interesting to me, as, as you say, I do some, some federal workers' comp uh, work also. This is different in that these benefits are paid to miners from the coal companies, and there's even another special uh, part of the statute that they're paid interim uh, benefits from the, uh, the trust fund. There's a trust fund established 
by Congress to do to uh, pay when claims are in dispute. So a miner can be uh, provisionally uh, deemed qualified for benefits by Department of Labor, the United States Department of Labor. And if the coal company wants to dispute that and appeal that, then a person draws benefits from the trust fund until his case is adjudicated. If he wins the case, then the coal mine has to pay the benefits, pay the trust fund back, and, and continue to pay benefits. So that's a different scheme compared to most of the stuff that we, that we do, really. And that trust fund that you refer to, that's the Black Lung Disability Trust Fund? Yes. So that, those monies belong to the government? Yes, yeah, like a tax. I believe it's from taxation of the coal companies. Okay. They pay into that. Are there, well, first of all, let's talk about what black lung is. Uh, sure. The medical term, I assume, is not black lung. Was, it's pneumoconiosis. You, you hear it referred to as coal workers pneumoconiosis, or CWP for short, and it is a, a condition of the lungs, their reaction to inhalation of dust particles. And uh, let's compare or contrast it to other uh, pulmonary-based conditions that perhaps most of our listeners might be more familiar with, such as let's, let's just take asbestosis, which can lead to mesothelioma or asbestos disease. Well, very similar, really, very similar, and it's, a, it's an occupational exposure in that regard. Um, Is it dose-related, time-related? <laughs> That's a great question. It's basically exposure-related, but people are either susceptible to a, a negative reaction to coal dust or they're not. So the miners can, can have 40 years of underground mining experience and never show a sign of disability related to, to pneumoconiosis. And miners can have as short as 10 years exposure and have severe forms of pulmonary disability related to it. Is there a latency effect or is it uh, cumulative? That's a hot topic right now in, the, in black lung. And the, uh, the regulations, as, as uh, formulated by the Department of Labor, recognize the majority of medical opinions support a, a finding that black lung can be both latent and progressive. Uh, a lot of the clients that I have, they have worked in the coal mines 25, 35, 40 years but they haven't worked in the coal mines for maybe 20 years. And they, sh- they show signs of pulmonary disability really for the first time, some of them 5, 10, 15 years after they have left and, and been exposed to coal dust and left the mines. And what are the symptom complex? What, how does it manifest itself? Cough? Some, cough. Some of the, one of the cl- most classic of symbols uh, of, or signs of uh, CWP is shortness of breath. Yeah, shortness of breath, cough, phlegm. Any breathing impairment. So how can a medical uh, professional distinguish that from other types of either age-related or smoking-related or other related pulmonary dysfunction? Are there certain tests that will isolate coal dust? Sure, Alan. The first thing the doctor does, like any doctor, takes a history, you know. No, no coal dust exposure, it's not in the equation. But if, 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 a, if a doctor is going to see someone with a pulmonary impairment that has over 10 years of coal mining experience, that has to go into their calculations. But they do pulmonary function testing, arterial blood gas testing. They do stress exercise testing. The first thing that is done with coal miners is to take chest x-rays. So older analog chest x-rays have been used mostly. That's, that's becoming digitized, and that, that science is advancing a little bit. There are no standards for digitized chest x-rays, but there are for analog. So 
the first thing the doctor will do, take a history, they'll do an examination, they'll take all these tests, these pulmonary function tests, arterial blood gases, chest x-rays, and look for evidence. Chest x-rays will show opacities, little small circles in the lungs, usually in all, all sections of the lungs and in both lungs. So uh, one thing about the, uh, the, the science of black lung is that cigarette smoking and, and dust, uh, rock dust and coal dust, they do the same things. They act the same way, and the lungs react the same way to exposure to these things. So when a doctor does all these tests, does the chest x-rays, it makes his best educated opinion whether it is or not. And that's, that's where we are in these cases. That's where the, the argument is always with our doctors or the Department of Labor doctors and the coal mine doctors. Who, and and these, these guys, most of them are guys. That's not, not all men. You know, some, there's some women who work in the coal mines. I haven't had a male. I haven't had a widower yet, but I've had widow cases. But um, it's always the battle of the medical experts. Now, and you brought up smoking. In qualifying for benefits, my experience with, for example, police and fire, primarily fire personnel that might be exposed to smoke and other toxic and noxious elements, there is a presumption uh, by state law that uh, any cardiac or pulmonary-related disease is presumed to be related to occupational exposure. Is there a similar presumption for minors? There's a couple presumptions in the statute. Uh, there's, there's a presumption that if a minor has a pulmonary disability and has 10 years of employment in mines, then he has it because of the mine employment. There's a 15-year presumption that's more significant, and uh, the late Senator Robert Byrd from West Virginia in, uh, inserted into the, the uh, ACA, the Affordable Care Act, before he passed away, uh, this presumption that had existed prior to 1980, I think, and then it was taken out of the statute. If a, a coal miner has a disabling pulmonary condition that keeps him from being able to engage in his last coal mining job, and he has more than 15 years of employment in the coal mines, he's presumed to be totally disabled because of his coal mining employment. And that's a rebuttable presumption. And I, I guess it would be rebuttable by medical evidence offered yes. by the coal mine that yes. smoking, family history, yes. asthma, respiratory um, allergies are accounting for the major cause of the symptoms. Yeah, and if you, if you get to invoke the, pre, the 15-year presumption, then the coal company has to almost rule out that coal dust was a contributor at all to the disability. And what's the forum for uh, litigating a claim that is contested? Well, a coal miner files an application with the Depar United States Department of Labor. They then arrange an examination. And that's, that's one of the issues that we can talk about later if we have time. Uh, doctors to do these examinations, we, we need more of them. The guy or, or the, the coal miner has an examination. The uh, doctor gives an opinion to the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor gives the coal company the opportunity to have the, the, uh, the coal miner ins inspected by their, independently, quote-unquote, right, by their own doctors. And then the evidence is put together. The, uh, the Department of Labor then makes a uh, determination whether the miner is entitled to benefits. Is this done at a claims examiner level? Yes. Uh, these the same claim examiners that might be uh, looking at a postal worker case or a VA worker or are there special ones uh, designated? 
both of those are Department of Labor, but they're in different divisions. There's a separate coal mining division of the Department of Labor that takes these cases. And, and having done both the FICA cases and the, and the black lung cases is very extremely interesting to me because we seem to be going up against the DOL claims examiners in the FICA cases. And these, they're like on our side. <laughs> it's like it's day and night. It's very oh, really? interesting. Okay. And uh, past the claims examiner level, do you ever get to an ALJ? Oh, absolutely. If the, That's an administrative law judge. Absolutely. And if the coal company, so let's say the Department of Labor finds that the miner's entitled, the coal company has 30 days to either agree to pay or to appeal. And that, and that first appeal is to an ALJ hearing. And, and that's where a lot of our work is done, really, is at the ALJ level. And let, I want to deviate since we just sort of touched upon that. And before we get into the benefits and sure. uh, the other entitlements that might flow from an exposure, there's a legitimate concern right now about funding and having adequate uh, personnel to adjudicate these cases. And that's affecting time frames of getting your case heard getting your case decided or getting your case paid. Yes. Uh, give us the update on where we are with that. Well, I don't know. I probably don't actually know the, the answer to your question, but, but what I see in the cases I'm doing is a hearing is going to take anywhere from 6 to 12 months to, be, to get set up. And so I've been doing these cases. I've only been doing these cases about five years. And I think it's taking longer. It seems to me, this is just anecdotal, but it seems to me that it is taking longer to get uh, hearings set. So what, what are the different jurisdictions that, that uh, have uh, a coal mining as a part of the industry where these claims Sh- might arise? Alan, the, uh, the Appalachian states from, from Pennsylvania down through Tennessee and, and northern Alabama even, Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, obviously, and the eastern part of Ohio. Over where I am in Indiana, we have southern, southwestern Indiana and southern Illinois uh, have coal mining. Then out west, there's some states. There's four or five states, Utah, Colorado, I think Wyoming, Montana maybe have coal mining, actual coal mining. And out west, they have mostly surface mining. Now, most of the underground mining is, is back east. But, uh, and that's an issue in some of our cases. The 15-year presumption we talked about earlier, if you have, the statute says if you have 15 years of underground mining or its equivalent. So some of my, you, you get the presumption. So some of my cases involve uh, surface mining, uh, above ground strip mining guys, and, a, and a, an initial issue because everybody wants to get the 15-year presumption. It's, it's, it's really, a, you know, a, a great way to prove your case initial issue is whether or not they were in coal dusty enough work environs to to qualify for the 15-year presumption. And how has uh, safety and safety equipment, respiratory equipment impacted the practice? Uh, I know from talking to miners, again, this is anecdotal what I know about that. The job, uh, let's talk about underground. Underground, you can't really uh, run a continuous miner, which is a machine that cuts coal at the face of the vein. You can't really wear a full body respirator or, or, or a completely enclosed respirator of some kind or with oxygen even. It just, it's just in, in, infeasible. It's just... Mm-hmm. You know, and, and again, you may not, this may be an off-the-wall question for you, but I've had some experience in Massachusetts with, a, uh, with claims involving beryllium powder, hmm. uh, no longer used, but there were a host of illnesses and deaths occasioned not by the worker exposed to the beryllium powder, 
but the spouse who might wash the clothes. Well, Has there been interesting. Ever, ever been any? There uh, has been. There have been uh, reported cases of spouses who have been exposed for a long time, 35, 40 years, to shaking the dust out of their husband's clothes. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's interesting that you say that. I think it's rare. It's, it's, I've never had a case, but, but I'm sure there have been. Uh, and and part, of my, part of my proof when I have one of my miners who has done surface mining to prove that they worked in coal dusty enough environs to invoke this 15-year presumption, I have their wives testify, you know, because the guys, you know, they're just covered with coal dust. They change clothes, they shower before they, and change clothes before they come home. Mm-hmm. When they come home, they're still covered with coal dust. And their clothes uh, have to be washed in different washing machines than their normal clothes because it'll tear them up. Interesting uh, question I have, I think it's an interesting question, is you mentioned you represent a lot of widows and haven't had a widower. Yeah. So proving that the death is related because sure. especially where there's a time gap, even if you have the presumption, sure. when somebody dies, yep. they could die from complications from a variety of things and the lungs yep. may be contributing to that. Well, How much of a quantum of proof do you need absolutely, that the yeah. pulmonary condition from coal dust contributed to the, the fatal episode that could have been 20 years after oh, the sure. person last worked. Sure. Well, you're using the key word, a contribution. The statute says that coal dust has to be a contributing cause of the death or at least hastened the death. So you're still, you're still going to have some need of a pulmonology and a pulmonologist's opinion even if the person suffered a, a heart attack and died from myocardial infarction. Maybe the person that filled out the death certificate listed CWP or, or pneumoconiosis as a contributing factor. Maybe they didn't. Uh, in some cases, we do autopsies. Autopsy is one form of, of proof. Uh, it's pretty good proof either way. You didn't have a, a serious level of it. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Joseph Hallman about the black lung benefits, and we'll, we'll talk about what the benefits that might be available. So we'll be right back. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters and our guest today, Joe Allman. We're talking about the uh, Black Lung uh, Benefits Act and and claims under that uh, system of workers' comp benefits. Joe, we were sort of talking about the quantum of proof that you need and the presumptions. So let's assume uh, a minor becomes disabled. What are the benefits that are available? Well, it's a, uh, first of all, a, a medical card to get a medical card from the Department of Labor to pay for any medicals needed, any related treatment, examinations, what have you. Monetarily, it doesn't pay a lot compared to some statutes. The end of, for one person, if you're just an individual with no dependents, you'd get something like 600 I think it's $630 right now. Rough, a week or a month? That, that's a month, roughly. Mm-hmm. That's not really a big benefit. 
Husband and wife, it's like $938, roughly. Don't hold me to those numbers. But that's do you have to actually be suffering a wage loss, or do you get that benefit just get, as a result of having it? You get that as a result of having so it. So you could be full-time employed in another field. Well, you wouldn't be able to be full-time employed because you have to have a pulmonary disability that, that precludes you from performing your last coal mine work. So it's not impossible. You could have a job of some kind, I suppose. I haven't had any clients in that situation now, or I haven't had to think about and, that. And is, I don't the, think is the so. death benefit for the surviving spouse and or ch- children the equivalent monthly benefit, or yes, is it different? Yes, it's the equivalent. Cost monthly. of living adjustments? Cost, uh, yes, cost of living adjustments, yes. How does yes. a lawyer get compensated for these cases? Well, these, this is very interesting. It's kind of a neat statute. The coal miner never pays the attorney a penny. And so we don't get paid any fees unless we win. So it's high, we're highly motivated in the cases. Of course, we try to only take good cases. The attorney can have the minor pay expenses, so that's something you can do. But the attorney, you, you file an attorney fee petition if you are successful in your case. Now, let's say you just had the determination by the Department of Labor and the coal mining company agrees to pay, well, that person probably didn't even have an attorney yet. Most of them come to me when they're going to have a hearing. They're going to have a hearing because the coal company's appeal, and they're going to, you know, go into a hearing. So we go to a hearing. We have to prevail, and we have to win. Now, the coal company, if they lost the hearing, they could also go to the Benefits Review Board in Washington, D.C., and that takes some 6, 8, 10, 12 months for that to come back down. It could be remanded for another hearing. Ultimately, you can go to the, your whatever geographic area you live in, your United States Court of Appeals. Okay. Now, is there apportionment, or is it the last employer under the successive insurer rule? A coal miner might work for half a dozen or more That's employers gr- over the 15-plus years. Absolutely. How do, how do you deal with That's that? That's a great question. And it's, it's the last mine, the last employer that you work for for one year. It's called the responsible operator, the RO. That's sometimes a fight in these cases. Yeah. I, it doesn't, I don't know why, but it is. I mean, it just seems pretty clear where you worked, right? <laughs> It doesn't seem it would to be seem, but yeah, I agree with you. I've, I've been involved in other cases, yeah, both asbestos and uh, yeah. cumulative trauma cases, where yeah. it's very difficult to find out who that last employer was, especially if you're working out of a union shop and you're going from employer to employer. Yes. And they may have different insurance carriers depending on each job. It's a monster just to find out who your <laughs> defendant is, never yes. mind proving your case. Exactly. You know, at this point, I'm going to uh, change gears. I'm going to put you on the spot, if you don't mind. You're a lawyer. You're used to that. We have a feature here called Case of the Day. Oh, great. Where I'm going to describe (laughs) an interesting case and uh, ask you how you think it came out. Okay. And this case comes from the state of Montana. The coal mines in Montana, this is not a coal case. You know, they do, and I think they have strip mines. Okay. (laughs) But this is not a coal case. This is not a coal case. This is a bear case. (laughs) Oh, great. This is the case of poor Mr. Hopkins against the Uninsured Employers Fund. Uh, Brock Hopkins worked at a, uh, a private amusement park called the Great Bear Adventures in Montana. His job, there were issues about whether he was an independent contractor or an employee, but cutting right to the... Uh, we'll assume he's an employee. We assume he's an employee. That okay. was one of the issues. <laughs> but part of his job was to feed the bears and perform maintenance duties. And the bears go into hibernation. The park is only open to Labor Day, but somehow in early November... He got mauled by a bear, a grizzly, and his claim was that he was going in to feed the bear. And after they extricated him from the, uh, the bear, uh, and he was still breathing, 
uh, and he was taken to the hospital, he both admitted to and it was uh, shown by evidence that he had been smoking marijuana before going into the the house of the bear. Oh, great. And uh, the issue is whether under those circumstances he would be entitled to be recovered, recover workers' comp benefits. Oh, that's a fantastic question. Okay, so what a scenario. Well, what does the statute say? Let's look at the statute first. Is there any preclusion for or under the influence in the statute? I know in our state, in Indiana, for workers' compensation benefits, that uh, under the influence is, is one thing that will get you denied benefits. Right. Well, that is what the position was of the employer and the uninsured trust fund, and you you got to it to a point. And when you do get into jurisdictions where there is a prohibition or a bar, there's one further step, and that is whether Under the you can prove that it contributed oh. to the injury. And in upholding the award of benefits, the Montana Supreme Court said the use of marijuana was mind-boggling stupid, but the evidence was it had nothing to do with being mauled by the bear. <laughs> that a bear is an equal opportunity mauler. And he could have been stone sober or sober stoned. And it didn't matter. Oh, that's fantastic. And although part of their argument was that smoking the marijuana may have impaired his judgment for going in there. Yeah. But there was no proof that having smoked marijuana contributed to being mauled by the bear. So he did recover benefits. But you're right. There are some jurisdictions that have the intoxication defense, where simply the act of intoxication will yes. nullify it. Even if you're drunk and uh, something falls off a building and you're standing next to the guy that isn't drunk exactly. and you both get killed, yeah. you know. And it's unfortunate. It's but unfortunate, it, but, but, it's uh, but it there is. are states where you have to, once that defense is raised, then there's the burden to show that it contributed. And <laughs> fortunately, well, there's not much fortunate about Mr. Hopkins, no. but fortunately, <laughs> um, the Montana state. A law was that they had to prove that the pot contributed, and then it did not, so he recovered. So, Joe, thank you very much for being a guest on Workers' Comp Matters, telling us a little bit about black lung disease, and thank you for all the work you do for your clients. Alan, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Workers' Comp Matters, and go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network. Hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other workers' comp matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.